0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Real Real Podcast with me, Natalie Barbu. In today's episode, I am interviewing the Redhead Academic or Kaylin. Kaylin has become a friend of mine, and it started actually through my consultations. So, she was one of, I believe, my first consultations that I have had, which, fun fact, I didn't even know this. I just found this out this morning. Um, A few days ago, October 9th, was my one year anniversary of the consultations. So that's really exciting. Um, I did not know that it's already been a year and it's just crazy at how much can happen in a year. So yeah, just thank you guys so much for supporting me. And if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, I used to do one-on-one consultations and now I have phased those out, but I do have a Patreon where I help with like personal branding and it starts at $3 a month. So it's pretty affordable. Um, But Kaylin was one of my first clients to not go off on a tangent she was one of my first clients and she has an amazing youtube channel i am a huge 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 fan of her youtube channel she is just honestly so inspiring so motivating and it's a world that I am unfamiliar with that she talks about so she's very big into academia she actually has gone from community college and now she is studying um, and getting her PhD at Yale University so she has gone from community college to UCLA for undergrad and then to Oxford for grad school and then Yale for her PhD and she also wants to become go to law school eventually like she's just insane she's so smart and it's one of the most inspiring stories because I think when you think of ivy leagues or you think of these amazing prestigious universities of course they're difficult to get into but they're they seem so daunting they seem like you will not get in unless you have connections you will not get in unless you are a genius and although people that go there are obviously very intelligent and they work very hard, she makes it and she really breaks it down into so much more digestible pieces about how she got in and honestly her resilience through it all because her life path is not the traditional go to college, get your four-year degree, get a job and that's it. It's so much more than that and it's very fits her you know it's very much for her not for anyone else she didn't try to meet society's expectations of her which is what I honestly love about Caitlin. and I've noticed this from like day one of meeting her she's just a very very special person I'm very excited to have her on this podcast again like I said she's become one of my friends I know that you guys will enjoy this I know that you guys will also love her YouTube channel if you're interested in that she does vlogs she does Academic videos. It's just, it's, it's awesome. Even if you're not planning on going back to school, like I'm not really planning on going back to school, she her videos are still very, very entertaining. And her podcast is also amazing. So she's interviewing a lot of different people on her podcast. And I was actually just on her podcast. It went up today, so you guys can check that out. Um, but it's just it's exciting, and I'm really excited to have her on. I know that you guys are going to absolutely love this episode, so I can't wait to hear what you guys think about it. If you guys did like this episode, please be sure to live it to leave it five stars on iTunes. That helps me out so much and I just want to thank you guys all for reviewing my podcast. It means so much to me and if you guys could please review it and give it five stars, um, that just helps me out a lot. And then check out Kaylin's podcast as well. But anyways, let's just get into the episode because I know that you guys are going to absolutely love it you know what the best feeling is when you walk out the door feeling like you can conquer the world because your hair looks amazing you know those days when your hair shines with confidence well i have something that are going to make those good hair days into a daily reality which is way's new hair gloss i personally have been loving taking care of my hair i just got a new haircut and at first i was iffy on it but then the more i've looked at it and the more i've styled it I actually really love it and I don't think I can go back to super long hair. It's all about how you style it. So I have been meticulous about my hair routine. I've been incorporating Waze hair gloss and it has literally made me love my haircut and love all of the different ways that I can make it look. It's so easy. Just five minutes in the shower and bam, instant shine. And let me tell you, preventing heat damage is a top priority for me and with hair gloss protecting my hair up to 450 degrees, I can style worry-free. And the best part, my hair feels shinier healthier and more vibrant than before if you guys have seen my blowouts on my instagram or my tiktok you know that i have been feeling my hair and it has been so shiny getting your shine on in the shower with ways hair gloss is so easy and it's packed with hyaluronic acid and rice water and so it so it not only gives you immediate shine but also treats damage and enhances color vibrancy and here's the best part in a consumer perception study over 85 percent of participants agreed that their hair looks shinier healthier and smoother with ways hair Gloss. Give your hair a glow up with WAY. Go to T H E O U A I and use promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T H E O U A I.com, promo code RealReal.
1: Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive, sought-after, rare, and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.
0: Hi, Kaylin. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast.
2: Thanks so much for having me on your podcast.
0: I'm so excited because you, me and you, I feel like have formed a really great relationship this year. We just like always catch each other up. We were just talking before this. We're bad influences because we force each, or not force, <laughs> we influence each other to buy expensive things, which <laughs> like we both but just bought. such
2: great products. <laughs> yes, yes.
0: We both bought a Peloton, literally convinced each other, and now I'm wearing Set Active and it's because Kaylin was like, you need to get set active. And I was like, okay, fine. So (laughs) we we definitely influence each other a lot. But I'm really excited to have you on my podcast. Thank you for coming on. And I just want to say that we're going to start with setting the record straight. So this is some stereotypes, assumptions. You're going to tell me if they're true or false based on your own experiences. And then we'll just dive into the podcast. Okay, let's do it.
2: Awesome. So the first one is everyone
0: should go to college.
2: So I actually think this is false. So I think that people see my content because I make academic lifestyle content. I'm a graduate student at Yale. And so there's this kind of misconception that I believe that everyone should go to college. And I absolutely don't think that's true. I think that everybody has their own path through life and that you have to pursue the goals that your intuition tells you is right for you. I have a brother who actually worked his way up in retail from LA, he moved to New York, he made his way all the way up. And now he's working as an executive in branding for Shinola. And my sister actually did not go to college at all. I'm the only one in my family who has actually completed any graduate study. My dad had kind of a basic business bachelor's degree, but I I pretty much consider myself a first generation student because no one in my family really talked about college. So I think there are so many different ways that you can go about your own goals. And college and academia was right for me, but it wasn't even right for me at 18. So I think that you have to roll with the punches and figure it out what's best for you.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a good message because, one, I think college just puts a lot of pressure on 18-year-olds. It's like you have to go or you're not going to be successful in your entire life. And that is just so far from being true. But I feel like when you're in high school and you're a senior in high school, you think like college or nothing a lot of times. And it puts a lot of shame on people that might not want to go or might not get in or not might not financially be able to go. And I just think that that's a stigma I hope that we can break, even though it is for a lot of people. It's not for everyone.
2: Absolutely. And it might not be for everyone at a particular moment. It might not be for you at 18. It wasn't for me at 18. That's for sure. And I think you just have to figure out what's best for you And you have to figure out your timing. And sometimes at 18 or even 20, you're not ready to go to school. And that's okay.
0: Right, right. And the next one is you have to be a genius to
2: get into an Ivy League. Absolutely not. (laughs) I I do not feel like a genius in any way, shape, or form. I feel like I just have a really strong work ethic and I was really determined. And I mean, I was a terrible student in high school, and we'll we'll get into this later, but I never could have imagined I would end up in an Ivy League. I mean, I thought I was going to end up at a low-level state school at best. So mm-hmm. the fact that I'm here, I think, is indicative that just about anybody can make it all the way up the ranks. You just have to, again, trust your timing. And you have to work really hard and be diligent. And you just got to learn how to hustle. And so I don't think that it's a matter of smarts. I think... That there are many ways to get into the top schools, and I think a work ethic is is one of the main ones.
0: Yeah, no, I really like that, because it is really intimidating. You think of, like, Harvard, Yale, Cornell, Princeton, all of these schools, and you're like, oh my god, you have, must have to have, like, the highest IQ, or you have to be, like, the smartest person in your state, and, you know, you don't have to. There's so many different factors that contribute to going into that school or getting Absolutely. into that school. Yeah. Yeah. And the next one is going to an Ivy League as a cutthroat environment.
2: So yes and no. I will say I don't have the undergraduate experience, so I don't know what it's like there. But in terms of the graduate level experience, I find my community, my cohort to be super kind, inclusive, caring. We check in on each other. We vouched for each other when it came to issues related to COVID and stipend distress sorry, disbursements. And so I don't think of it as a cutthroat environment necessarily in terms of the people around you and your colleagues, but I would say the academic profession is is a bit cutthroat in terms mm-hmm. of the job market. It is it is really difficult to find a tenure track position and those kinds of things. So I think it's just challenging in that you're competing not directly with anyone. Like I don't think that any of us look at each other and say, "Oh, you're going to be on track to get a to mm-hmm. get a job at UCLA, and you're my competition." I don't think that we that we necessarily think that way. It's mostly that it's a it's an intimidating and challenging job market, and so the competitiveness is kind of within, and that we needed to produce our best work, and that we are all hoping that we will get lucky to some degree. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it really is all about community in these places also. And like, yes, like you are saying, it is limited. So it is like a little competitive, but it really is more of a community at a lot of these like bigger schools. From what I hear, I don't yeah. know personally, but from what it looks like, I feel like it can be like a very caring, nurturing community.
2: Especially when you are in a graduate program where it the work that we do is naturally isolating. The Mm -hmm. intellectual work of a researcher is naturally isolating. So having a strong support network and trusting your friends and establishing relationships within and outside of the academy are so important. And so I think that building community and finding your community is just so vital to your success as a student, especially as a student that wants to pursue a career in academia.
0: Right, right. And now I'm curious, I ask this a lot on my podcast, but what did you want to be when you were younger? So you can date this back to when you were five years old, but like, what was a job that you were like, this is what I want to do?
2: So it's funny because I, at five years old, remember being asked, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I remember being in kindergarten and saying, I want to be a professional horseback rider. I want to go to the Olympics. And I actually became a professional athlete i became a professional horseback rider i made my five-year-old dream come true and that's awesome yeah so i i had that dream i succeeded at that i did really well and then i found a new dream
0: oh so i didn't know that when you were younger you really did want to be a horseback rider Which is
2: so yeah. It was it was everything that I wanted. I loved horses. I loved animals. I loved the sport. I still do. And I I pursued it. I worked my butt off. I groomed. I braided horses' manes at the horse shows. I set jumps. I did everything. I worked so hard throughout high school, and I actually became a professional equestrian at eighteen.
0: And when you were five, when this was kind of, like, your dream, were you already kind of in horseback riding lessons? Or you didn't even, like, ride a horse yet, and this is just what you wanted to be? I think I
2: had ridden a horse baby once, and I remember had I feeling. went on, like, a trail ride. <laughs> and my mom tells this story all the time because she just thinks it's, like, the greatest story of all time, which is that we had gone on this family vacation, and we went on a trail ride, and they lied about my age because I was too young, technically, to ride. <laughs> and... I, we went out and my horse actually like tripped and fell down. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And my mom is behind me, like absolutely horrified. And my horse stands up and I just sat there, just like held on. And I turned around and I was like, I'm okay, mom. (laughs) And then we like get back, we get back to the cabin and I run up to my dad and I say, dad, 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 I want to ride horses. Like, that's what I want to do. And so around the time when I was asked, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Was probably around the time when I had finally convinced my dad to let me start taking lessons. That is so So. funny.
0: (laughs) Full circle. That's so funny. Wow. Um, And then when you were younger, I know that you said that you weren't like the best student. So how serious were you about about school? Was really horseback riding like your main thing? Or were you serious about your studies when you were in like, I guess, like middle school, high school?
2: So I was actually a good student in middle school. Okay. <laughs> um, but when I got to high school, I changed districts, and I didn't know anyone, and I was really, I was really socially awkward. I had a lot of just challenging times trying to just meet people, talk to people, and my freshman year in high school, I actually had a really nearly fatal riding accident where I. Was in the hospital. I had punctured my lung. I had really messed up my back, and I missed school for I think three weeks recovering. And I had really severe PTSD and depression. And when I went back to school, I had a rolling backpack. And people in high school are cruel, (laughs) and so, and so I got made fun of a lot and. I also, I had a panic attack during a class once, and this boy like relentlessly teased me about it for the rest of the year. And so I had a really hard time in high school socially, which kind of trickled down to my academics because I had missed so much school, I felt like I couldn't really find my footing again. And so instead of really kind of focusing in on school, which was the place where I felt like I was experiencing a lot of pain, I actually started riding again even though the riding had caused my my accident and had caused me a lot of physical pain Mm -hmm. but i loved horses i loved the sport and so i kind of just threw myself into that and i loved it so much i wanted so badly to be a professional that i every weekend after school i would ride my bike to the barn i would groom i would just do anything i could to get involved. And so for me, the horses were what I wanted. I wanted to, I wanted to ride. I wanted to be a professional. And so I was not a good student. And I think it's largely because I just didn't develop any kind of positive experiences in school. And on top of that, I had a really hard time keeping up with the assignments because I was so dedicated to my riding. And while I'm sure my parents were horrified. I knew they were. <laughs> I, I knew in my gut that that's what was right for me at the time. And when it came time to actually decide whether I should go to college or my parents were going to make me go to college,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I had gone to my father and I said, I just don't think I should go to school right now. I don't feel ready. I want to ride horses. I want to see what's available for me there. And I feel like if I leave right now, if I go away wherever to college, that I will lose this opportunity. And there's something in my, in my gut telling me I have to do it. And much to his dismay, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, not, I was not a naturally good student. But that came a little later. <laughs>
0: And didn't you said that your brother and sister didn't go to school as well, right? They didn't go to college. Are you what like order are you in the family because what did they really push for kind of all of you guys to go or were like they fine
2: with you not going since like your siblings didn't go? So what's funny about this is that nobody in my family had really gone to college. Like my dad had gone to community college, dropped out, worked in construction, and then I think he went and got a, a business degree. Um, but I'm still uncertain about that, to be honest. (laughs) And I remember there was so much pressure on me to go to college and that was the only thing my parents wanted for me. And I looked at my brother and he was being he was super successful in retail and he hadn't gone to college. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at my parents and I'm like, Well, you guys didn't go to college and look where you're at. Like you're living in the Bay Area and you have a successful job and you like we have this great family. I I don't understand why I'm being pressured to do this when something tells me this isn't right for me right now. Mm -hmm. And so I think for my dad, it was that he didn't get the chance to do that Mm -hmm. and that my brother didn't go. And so he felt this need to push us to go.
0: Right, right. I mean, it it makes sense. I just always am curious of like, since he didn't go, since your brother didn't go, how that would like why I guess why you felt that pressure like
2: I think we were also in the Bay Area and there was so much social pressure from I'm sure his colleagues and his Mm -hmm. friends and there was the pressure from my stepmother and my mom actually did not push me to go to college she was like very much she's the type of person that's like you need to do what's right for you follow your heart and all of that (laughs) but my my dad I think it wasn't it wasn't that he Necessarily knew that that's what I had to do or what that was right for me. It was that there was so much pressure, and I went to one of the best Bay Area high schools. It was a really great public school, and I think looking around and seeing his colleagues' daughters getting into Harvard and Stanford, and he was—I'm sure he was just horrified. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, it-, it worked out in the end. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Did you feel pressure to go to school from your classmates?
2: Yes. I went to a high school where I remember my high school orientation. And they asked us, where do you want to go to college the first day of high school?
0: Like ninth grade?
2: Ninth grade. And I just remember feeling this immense pressure and being like, I don't know who I am. Mm
0: -hmm. Like, I don't know
2: what I want to study. I don't know where I want to study.
0: Yeah, like, that's so much that pressure is, for a yeah, ninth and, grader. You're not supposed
2: to even know that until like you're going to apply pretty much. <laughs> and I I believe that my high school was a pretty, pretty toxic environment if you were not really, really set up for success. Mm-hmm. Like if you did not have tutors from the point when you were a child that your academic success was very unlikely and there was a lot of mental health issues at my high school and all of that and so that's why i kind of like repelled away from acad- like academics because i just felt like it was this this environment where you could never really win mm-hmm. and where you were never really appreciated whereas in the horse world whereas like i felt very accepted and i felt like my work directly correlated to mm-hmm. my opportunities
0: Right. Yeah. And what was a turning point then in your academic career? Like, when did you realize, when did you decide to go to school?
2: So funny story. So I, at 18, had had this conversation with my dad. Actually, I was 17 at the time and I moved out before I turned 18. And I worked. I worked in just insane hours. And it's honestly crazy to look back on because I would be at horse shows and I would get there on a Tuesday at like 8 a.m., prep the horses to compete. And then from 7 p.m. to 5 a.m., I would braid horses' manes, preparing for the horse show to groom them for the next day. And then at 5.30 a.m., I would be on the ho- like be on my first horse of the day. And so I was surviving on 20-minute naps where I could get them. And it was just really unsustainable. Mm-hmm. And But I loved it. And I loved my job. I loved the horses. And so I did that for three years where I was competing full time. I was always on the road. And I had made this decision to really dedicate myself to this sport completely. And I had tried taking some community college classes, but just couldn't really get into it. And so I was like, you know what? It's not working for me right now. I'm just gonna drop out. And so I dropped out of community college. I was riding full time and I was at a horse show. I was at the end of a five week long sprint, essentially, of horse shows. And I remember coming home one day after winning, like I had done really well that day. And I had competed against some of the best athletes on the West Coast, like the people I had looked up to since I was four or five years old. And I came home and felt like I should have been super satisfied with that. Mm-hmm. And there was something in my gut telling me you've reached the end of the road. And I had actually gone on a trip the next week because my, my cousin was moving to Boston. And so we were in Boston, or actually in Cambridge, we were walking around Harvard Square. And I turned to my cousin and I said, you know what, I think I want to go back to school. And he said, well, I mean, you're 19, 20, I think at the time. Mm-hmm. And you can go to community college and you can do it. Like, you can still go to school. Yeah. And so I, on the plane back home, I wrote out a five-year plan on a napkin. And I went to my dad. I said, I want to go to school. Will you help me? And he said he'd be willing to pay for some of my classes. And the rest is history.
0: <laughs> wow, that's awesome. So you really, I feel like that's just a talent, like, you need to trust your guy. You know, that really shows you how important it is to trust your gut like just because everyone else is doing something does not mean that you need to do it you know like it could have been so easy for you to been like yeah i'm gonna go to school because everyone else in my grade is doing it i don't want to feel like the only one that's not going to college or whatever because you do feel that pressure from school and but you didn't you listened to your gut and then it got you to where you needed to be so i'm a huge believer of like listening to your gut and like your intuition tells you so much more than you think it, like, yeah. really is, like, like you have to listen to it. Um, and you did, so you went to community college, and then you went to UCLA, right? Or how, what was, like, the time frame? Like, did you do two years at community
2: college? So, because I did some community college classes, like, the first couple years I was writing, like, I would take, like, one or two classes a semester, essentially. I It took me about two years to get all the credits that I needed. So I transferred when I was... I got in when I was 21, I turned 22 when I started my first year at UCLA. So yeah, so it took me about two years to get all the credits that I needed. And then when I went to go to apply, again, I've never been a conventionalist, I had said, well, I know everybody applies to state schools, I'm gonna apply out of state. And so I applied to the UCs on a whim. Like I applied to the University of California system to go. I applied to UCLA, Berkeley, Davis, and UCSB. But I only did that because I knew that my dad wanted me to. Yeah. And what's funny about that is I applied to so many schools. I applied to a bunch of schools on the East Coast. I applied to University of Connecticut. I applied to Vermont. I applied to William and Mary. And when I got all my decisions back, I had basically gotten into almost everywhere I applied. Mm. And... I got the letter from, UCLA's letter was one of the last ones I received. And I was so set. I thought, okay, I'm definitely going to William Mary. I'm moving to Virginia. Like, that's what's going to happen. And I got the letter from UCLA, and I thought it was a joke. I thought that somebody had made an administrative mistake.
0: Really? Is it is UCLA, like, the hardest school to get into out of the ones it's, that you applied?
2: It is one of the hardest. Yeah. I mean, it was, It's still ranked the number one public university in the United States. Wow. And... So I got in and I remember opening the letter. I was at a horse show actually when I opened the letter. And I was like, Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And <laughs> I just I just didn't really believe it. And so I didn't think anything of it. And then I was driving home that night and I was like on the phone with my friend and he said, Oh, how's the horse show today? How'd did, how'd did it go? And I said, Oh, like the horses were really good. Um, it's been a really good day. I also hurried back and I got back, I got into UCLA. And I said it very nonchalantly because I wasn't gonna go. Yeah, I had already made my decision, and he basically, like, metaphorically, like, slapped me upside the head and was (laughs) like, "Are you kidding me? Like, how are you not gonna go to UCLA? Like, you've got to be kidding! They've got a great history department. Why wouldn't you go there?" And I was like, "Huh? Yeah, I guess so. So I'll I'll go do some research." And so I actually, this is kind of what started my YouTube journey, but. I actually went on YouTube and I watched every video, every vlog I could find from a college vlogger at UCLA. That is so funny. (laughs) And I stayed up all night watching these videos. And the next day I called my dad and I said, so I got into UCLA and I I just, there's something in my gut. Like I just, I feel like I have to go check out the school. Like I I just need to, I need to see it before I make the decision Mm -hmm. on where to go. Yeah. And two minutes into walking on campus, I turned to my dad and I said, my decision's made. I'm going
0: here. I love Westwood. Like, Westwood is one of my favorite areas in LA. So for those of you who don't know, UCLA is in Westwood, which is such a beautiful, picturesque area. Like, it's so beautiful. It's like right near Beverly Hills, kind of, I would say. Um, And it's, the UCLA campus is gorgeous. I've walked around it before. And I, because when I lived in LA, I used to live in Westwood for a month. And it was just like... Unreal, like I loved it. Um, but why? So you majored in history at UCLA, right?
2: So I majored in history and I did a minor in African American studies.
0: Why did you choose both of those? Like, why did you choose history and why did you choose that minor? Is that something going into it that you knew you were going to do in college?
2: Yes. So when I was in community college, I really loved my history classes, and I always loved history, and. I was just kind of doing some research and just like reading some random books. And I came across this one book called Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings and American Controversy. And it was the first monograph ever published that basically affirmed the possibility that there had been a relationship between Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings. And this is before the DNA test, like a year before the DNA test was released to the public. And I read this book and to put it lightly, it just completely blew my mind. Mm -hmm. It changed my entire perception of history, of the world, of politics, of race and gender and just everything. It just completely changed my worldview. And there was something in my gut that told me. This is the history. These are the histories I need to be writing. These are the Mm -hmm. things I want to be studying. And when I got to UCLA, I found out they had an African-American studies department. And there was this professor there. Her name is Brenda Stevenson. And she wrote on the history of slavery. She wrote on kind of Black lives in colonial Virginia. And I chose UCLA because I wanted to work with her. And And that just completely changed my life. I I went to UCLA knowing I wanted to study history. And I knew I wanted to study history because I just loved history. Mm -hmm. And I originally thought, oh, I'll go study business or I'll go study economics. But it didn't set my heart on fire. I when I read histories and when I take history classes, my heart skips a beat. Like there's something in it that I just I love it. And so I got to UCLA and I was taking these classes, and I took Brenda Stevenson's History of Slavery. And I, like every class, I was just so immersed in, and I was so obsessed with learning more about this time period, learning more about Black lives through the eyes of themselves, rather than just through the colonial lens of Mm -hmm. white colonial plantation owners and whatnot. And it was just a totally different history than what had been told in high school. And that's kind of what got me into it. It's just that I I couldn't get enough. I still can't get enough. I yeah. I just love it. I love learning more. I love history. And that's why I studied it. There's really no practical reason other than I just really loved it.
0: I mean, again, going with your gut, going with what feels right. Like, honestly, that is like the moral of this podcast episode. <laughs> Absolutely no I think that's really cool and I feel like I've never had I honestly I don't have any friends that have done history I don't know really anyone that's a history major so it's really cool hearing it from someone who is so passionate about it and why they chose it and then after UCLA you did end up going to Oxford for grad school so how was and now you're going to Yale so I really want to know what the cultural differences are between school in the UK versus school in the United States so what were some of the big like cultural differences that you found
2: So there's obviously the cultural differences between the US and the UK, which are not very different in the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. But the kind of relationships between students and faculty and students in general is a little bit different. It's very casual in terms of like you go get coffee with your professors, like you don't mm-hmm. just meet them in their office or you'll go take a walk with like your senior tutor or something just to like discuss the readings that week. So it's a little bit more casual in that sense. And I think there's some pluses and negatives to that. And in terms of the kind of academic culture, it's very different, especially when we're talking about graduate school. And this is what I make videos on for YouTube is the differences in the expectations of different academic environments, different types of readings. But on top of that, like the types, the way that they grade is very different. And... Is it
0: harsher or is it easier?
2: Um. So I'd say it's harsher. But in a slightly different way, it's really hard to get a high mark. Mm -hmm. But it's still really hard to get a high mark in graduate school no matter what. So... It's, it's challenging in a slightly different way in that you're not taking the, the typical kind of coursework that you would at a U.S. institution. I had so much free time at Oxford, but it wasn't quote unquote actual free time. Mm-hmm. It was you're meant to be in the library. You're meant to be sitting in the rad cam reading from the hours of 8 to 9 p.m., mm-hmm. <laughs> like 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. Yeah. And so it's just a different academic culture in, in that sense. And I think that, I mean, I could go on and on between the differences, but like the college system at Oxford, I think is really conducive to community. And it's something that I think more of the U.S. colleges in a way should kind of adapt for college, for graduate students specifically, mm-hmm. because yeah. the, MS, the MCR, the Middle Common Room, is basically like a it's a community of your within your college of just graduate students, but it's also a physical like hangout space. And so I was at Somerville College at Oxford and my friends were from every different department. I had a friend who was in political science and biology and computer science and classics. And I think that the way that they kind of set up that physical space, but also that community, it makes it very conducive to actually building relationships and friendships with people that are outside of your field. Mm -hmm. And that's something that is missing in American graduate schools because your whole world kind of centers around your department. And I don't get to really interact with people, say, in economics or in sociology or anybody in STEM, which I think is a negative thing about the US system. I think that cross-disciplinary discussion and interaction and research is just so important. To the future of academic study, so I think that's that's what's that's what's missing in in the U.S. and I could go on and on, but I'll I'll kind of wrap it up there.
1: Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on—that's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive, sought-after, rare, and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com
0: I so agree with you because I went to a school that was very technical so NC State is a big engineering school. They do have other majors like they do a business and English and a bunch of different things but they are a big stem school and all my courses were pretty much in stem like I did I barely took electives and because of like my AP credits in high school I got a lot of my like gen eds out of the way so I wasn't even really able to like take any like fun electives that I wanted to because I kind of got them out of the way in high school which is like a good thing but literally all my classes were just like stem I had one history class pretty much all of college And it was about the Holocaust. I took the Rise of Hitler class, which was one, it was so interesting. And then I was like, I wish I took more of these types of courses because I am so tired of just taking calculus, statistics, um, like physics, uh, dynamics, you know, like all of these difficult engineering courses. I felt so, I like brain dead after them, you know, like I really wish I had something that sparked my interest a little more or was just a little different to break up my day because I did not have any of that. And that is something I wish that we would do more like cross-disciplinary classes and like to be more well-rounded, which I think liberal arts colleges do a little bit more of that in the US, but still in general, like I wish that, like that was a requirement across the board.
2: I agree. And also I'm I'm in an interdisciplinary program because I'm doing history Mm -hmm. and African-American studies at Yale. And I think even breaking up my day, doing having some of my African American studies classes, which is an amalgamation of different subjects. So sociology, anthropology, fine arts, literature, history, every like basically anything in terms of social sciences and humanities. And so I have to take classes that are not just historical research. And Mm -hmm. I think that in a way that's helped me grow as a researcher in having to take those other classes so i think that taking classes outside of your field is just so useful Mm -hmm. and that it teaches you a variety of skills and it also helps you go back to your material fresh
0: yeah yeah no i i totally agree um and then now you do consulting so you do consulting with like getting helping people when they're applying to schools and in that process I really want to know and I think a lot of people in my like that listen to this will want to know what are some common mistakes that you see when people are applying to college. So, maybe typically undergrad what do you have more of, undergrad or grad school applications?
2: So, I have more graduate school applications. I think that just because the way I started my YouTube channel as a graduate student has kind of just lended itself to having more of a graduate school audience or people that are in undergrad considering graduate school. Mm-hmm. I have had some undergraduate and some transfer applicants as well. So I cover pretty much all areas of the application process, but my my specialty is probably more post-grad. But the biggest mistake I would say across the board mm-hmm. is people selling themselves short, one, and two, being apologetic for flaws or mistakes. And here's the one thing I tell every client is never apologize yeah. for who you are, your experiences, and where, you, like, what your background is. Because yeah. no matter what, so long as you can manage to sell your story and you can actually demonstrate that that set of quote-unquote weaknesses are actually your strengths... In that you're more teachable, you Mm -hmm. have skills that you want to acquire, you're not you're not a ready-made package. And that's that's in a way a good thing. Like if you're especially when you're applying to college or you're applying to graduate school, your life is going to change so much. Your way of thinking is going to change so much. And so you want to come across in your application that you are ready to learn. Mm -hmm. You are ready to take everything that that university or that program has to offer you so don't say okay like I there's some flaws in my GPA okay I will tell you guys this I had a 2.9 GPA in high school I had a very low GPA the first the in the first two years of my my transcript from community college where it was a little spotty. there were classes that I withdrew from I had like 10 withdrawals which most people would tell you. If you have, like, two withdrawals, one withdrawal, like, you are never going to get into a college. Like, you are never going to get into a top school. And I'll tell you guys, the little secret, it's a lie. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's absolutely a lie. You have to demonstrate that you have learned Mm -hmm. and that that is, in a way, you have taught yourself how to overcome and how to be determined and how to work hard. You didn't just fail and quit. You had a setback. Or Mm -hmm. you had a little, you had a bump in the road. There's probably other stuff going on in your life that caused that bump. Mm -hmm. But you learned from it. You have developed your study habits. You have developed yourself as a person. And you are coming to that university fresh and ready to learn. And that is what you need to sell in your application.
0: I love that. Yeah, I think that that is so important because so many people, I feel like, apologize. Like, oh, sorry, I had a bad GPA this semester. This is why. Or like, I guess you can... do you explain why you have a bad or a lower GPA or you just don't you don't even explain it. Yeah, no. okay.
2: That's I mean if anything in my UCLA application, so UCLA transfer applications like the UCs mm-hmm. only require four essays and your transcript. Like mm-hmm. there's no letters of recommendation, there's there's no other way for you to kind of like insulate your application. Right. It's your essays and your grades. And so in my essays, I did not say I had like this massive setback. Mm -hmm. I said, I was pursuing this. My focus was on riding horses. Yeah. And from there, I dedicated myself to riding. And then you want to make sure that your story, the way that you are writing your personal statements, lines up with your transcript. So I specifically said like the spring of 2015 or the, the fall of 2015 I re-enrolled in community college and dedicated myself to my studies. Yeah. And this is what I've done so far. And you can see it in the transcript. Like I had C's and B's and withdrawals. And then all of a sudden I'm getting B's and A's and A pluses. And I'm doing research and now I'm applying to UCLA. Mm -hmm. And so it's not the grade. It's the story and it's the trajectory. If you can prove that you are on an upward trajectory... And that you have kind of learned and that you are prepared, and that you going to that university is part of your awkward trajectory, and that they get to be part of that story. That's how you get into college.
0: Wow. No, I, okay, if any of you are applying to any schools right now, you need to hire Galen because <laughs> she will get you in. No. <laughs> Her tips will get I, you in. <laughs>
2: I've had I've had some students that have gotten into their tops. I've got so many people that have gotten into Oxford, and I feel so much, like I feel pride in that. But also, I'm just so excited for my clients. Mm-hmm. And I have one of one of my old clients, one of my first clients. Her name's Katie, and she has a YouTube channel called The Vintage Academic. And I helped her with her application, and now she's at Berkeley. And oh my gosh, it's awesome! People get where they want to go. In their academic journey the people that are really passionate about learning that's those are the types of people i want to help i want to see them get into the best schools i want to see them completely rock the academy off of its hinges and yeah that is that is my goal
0: <laughs> did you this is kind of a side note but did you take the sat or act did you have to take that
2: i did so i took both the sat and the act and i scored very very low really? i do not test well i yeah, I, I don't even remember my scores. I I think I have it actually listed on one of my master classes. I teach these monthly master classes about the admissions process or like how to keep your grades up and all of these things. But I yeah, I did take the SAT. I took it three times actually and I took the ACT. I took it once when I was sixteen, mm-hmm. and then I took it again when I was like twenty.
0: Okay, wow. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I don't test well either. I didn't do really well on my ACT or SAT. It was like a very average score on both. And I'm, yeah, but um. so now you have a YouTube channel and I'm really excited to talk about that. You help people along, like you help people with their you know just kind of like this podcast you help people that aren't curious in academia you post fun vlogs you teach really specific things like how to write a dissertation and stuff like that that's really specific which I think is so cool what made you want to start a YouTube channel
2: so two things I just loved YouTube like I loved watching your channel I loved watching Michelle Reed and lipsticks and lattes like anybody that was kind of doing something interesting (laughs) And I loved watching people in college. And when I was going to graduate school, I, or when I was considering going to Oxford, I looked and there was no one, there was not a single graduate student on YouTube. And I was like, well, what's my life going to be like? Where am I going to eat? Like, where am I going to study? Like, how much am I going to study? And I just had so much anxiety because I had when I went to UCLA, I'd watched so many vlogs. And so before I even got there, I had a sense of like, okay, my life is gonna be like this. This mm-hmm. is where I'm gonna like hang out with my friends, this is where I'm gonna eat. And like I don't know why that made me feel so comforted. It is, it's and, like um it's
0: like you're FaceTiming a friend or something, I feel like.
2: Yeah, and I just felt like I had already kind of ex- like in a way, like prepared for the experience. And so when I went to Oxford, I was like, I don't know what to expect. And I there were undergraduate Oxford Mm -hmm. vloggers but there was nobody in the graduate level Mm -hmm. and so I saw that and I was like well there's there's no one doing it and I feel like there's going to be more people that want to go to Oxford for graduate school so I'm just gonna start a channel like I'm just gonna start making videos and in a way it's just gonna be my personal diary that I can look back on I still rewatch my videos oh
0: i do too i look back like i'm not kidding i think it's like a once a year thing where i look at like my last week of college vlog <laughs> yep. like it's, i will look back yeah and also i regret so i didn't start vlogging until like my senior year of college like i really don't think i started vlogging until then i started youtube way way long ago but it wasn't the vlogging days it was more like the sit down video days where it was like yeah. Uh, my skincare routine, my get ready with me, like all of that stuff. So I didn't have like vlogs until pretty much senior year. And now I'm like, I wish I had more videos because now I look back and it's just like probably only like five to 10 vlogs, which I feel like was so much more, but I only have like five to ten videos that I can look back on and I'm like dang I wish I had like way more content but yeah if you guys are listening I feel the same about UCLA yeah like if you're listening and you want to start a YouTube channel start it because you will look back at these videos and like it'll be so nice so
2: oh yeah and my my Oxford videos have performed so well over time yeah and I see like when people are getting into Oxford I see my move-in vlog like
0: peak that's so <laughs> for funny. the week that's so funny and how do you balance youtube and a phd now because and how did you balance like grad school undergrad all of that but especially like youtube and a phd with that going on right now
2: so and i will say
0: because you have that too and, and consulting, consulting.
2: <laughs> so i will say that i'm still getting my footing i'm still trying to figure out the balance between when i have the time and the energy to like film and to edit and everything along with my graduate work, because it is a lot of reading, but there's always something that you should be doing. I had a meeting with my advisor when I first got here and he immediately sat me down and he's like, okay, so how was your dissertation from Oxford? Is there a section of that you want to get published? We should publish your undergraduate thesis. You should start thinking about like what you want to do with your dissertation and who's going to be on your comps committee. And I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I'm not ready for this. Chill. <laughs> so it's a lot of just trying to figure out the balance of my consulting work and my YouTube and everything. But I always say, if you if you care about something, you'll always make time and you'll mm-hmm. always make it work. I and 100% so agree. It's all about time management, which like, of course, everybody says that, but it really is about figuring out... Your priorities and writing everything out. For me, I am—I'm not a visual person. So much as I'm somebody that I have to physically write something down for it Mm. to actually go into my brain. Right. And so I will, at the beginning of the week, on Sunday, I will write a list of everything I have going on that week, like every reading I have to do, every assignment, every client document that I need to review, everything. And the way that I kind of digest it is just every single day I will go look at which classes I have and then I'll look at that list from the beginning of the week and I'll say, okay, these are the things I'm going to tackle today. And so that's kind of just how I generally balance everything. I, again, I'm still trying to figure it out. I I think it's really a matter of just slowly adjusting as you go. I was not expecting my consulting business to take off as much as it has. I'm so proud that it has though. This is so good. (laughs) I, in this last three weeks, have tripled my income for the year in my business. Oh my gosh. In three weeks, the amount of money that I have made from January to August has tripled. Oh my gosh, that's insane. Which is crazy to me. That's and amazing. so it's a matter of trying to like... Balance that, and I also do these monthly master classes and biweekly office hours, which are entirely free for any of you listening that want to just check out my services and everything. That's a it's a free way for you to get some kind of general advice and a general idea about a variety of topics. So it's a a matter of like balancing all of those and my graduate work and YouTube. But the one thing I will say, which I think is just so important. Mm -hmm. is that you have to find things that you love doing, even when it's tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I have a lot on my plate. I have a ton of reading. I'm trying to figure out how to get two manuscripts published. I am working on my consulting business and my YouTube and everything. But at the end of the day, I'm doing everything that I just love doing. Mm -hmm. And... I love working with my clients. I love seeing them succeed as much as I want to succeed. And so for me, it is a lot of work and there are some monotonous hours where I have to put in to like get things done, revise my website and all of these things. But I would so much rather do that than anything else in the world. And I I really love it. So I think that that's what's important is that I have these things on my plate, but I'm the one that put them there. I'm the one that decided that this is what I wanted. And that goes back to the what we were saying about trusting your gut is knowing what is right and knowing what is right for you because then when the times get tough, you just get tougher and you figure out how to work you figure out how to work with it.
0: Yeah, I could not relate more. Like I think that that is so true because for example, when I was at my consulting job at like Accenture, my corporate job, that was not something I was willing to stay in when times got tough. Like, that was something I yeah. would dip when times get tough because I didn't love it. Like, I was there solely because I wanted a job and I needed a job, and that was pretty much it. It was not something I actually enjoyed doing. I was not passionate about it. And now, with what I'm doing now, times are stressful sometimes i'm working long hours i don't know what to do all the time i feel kind of like i have such bad imposter syndrome but i really love it and so i'm gonna keep doing it like i'm not just gonna give up yet (laughs) i'm not gonna give up at all but you know like i'm not gonna just be like okay this is hard next and there's nothing wrong with moving on or quitting something like i'm definitely a big believer that like if something's not right for you quitting is not a bad thing necessarily um but I do agree that like when you are doing things that you love, you make time for it and you will do it. So I think that in like time management, like you said, is huge. So I really love that advice because I could not relate more to that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think you just have to trust your gut. And if you aren't willing to put in the work and you feel like no amount of money can make me do this. Yeah, that's that's when you need to pivot. Like mm-hmm. that's when you need to quit that job or figure out your next step.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. Um, and so now before we go, I really want to know what are future goals for the Redhead Academic?
2: Future goals. So I have a lot of plans. I am a planner. It is my nature. Yeah. <laughs> I I have a lot of videos that I have planned out, which you know a little bit about. Um, I have like a full list of things that I want to create. I started using TikTok.
1: I Yay. had a TikTok,
2: like, blow up the other day. Which one is it? I'm going to check it out. It's, uh, it was just, it was one that I had seen other people kind of doing. It was trending. And now it has 63,000 views. Oh my god, Which is gosh. the most views I've ever gotten on anything. Yeah. So I'm trying to find other ways to reach more people, to help more people. And so that's kind of the YouTube stuff and the, and just like content creation in that regard. For my business, I actually pivoted a little bit and decided to rename my consulting business so that way I could make it a slightly separate entity. So my consulting business is now known as Accepted Consulting. And my plans for Accepted Consulting are to create more initiatives, create more nonprofit programming And I actually am involved with a program which is working with the State Department. And it is hopefully going to create this long-term initiative and mentorship program for community college students to help them reach higher education and also have opportunities to study in overseas graduate programs. And so I'm working with that. I would like to get into more speaking engagements. I would like to speak at community colleges and high schools and in different departments at state universities and let people know what opportunities they have. Mm-hmm. I had not thought that Oxford was an option until one of my professors had mentioned it. Mm-hmm. I wish I had known that I would have been eligible for the Roads. The Roads is a full scholarship for graduate study at Oxford, but you have to apply during your junior year. And so as a transfer student, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And so I was late to the party. But now I know these things. I know when it is you need to apply, when you need to take opportunities. And so I want to use that knowledge to help more students. So the, the long-term plan for accepted consulting and for the redhead academic is just to reach more people that's that's kind of the overarching goal
0: i can so see you being a speaker at all of these different like universities colleges i can see you actually doing a ted talk I'm putting that out there. I I feel like you're going to do a <laughs> TED Talk one day because your story is really inspiring and honestly, you have a lot of good knowledge that you want to share and I always think that when someone comes like like you were saying you didn't know these things when you were in school and now you do. You also now know what you wish you knew back then. You know you know things that like Oh yeah. people are going to want to know so you can share them. It's not just like general knowledge that you're sharing. So I think that what you have going is amazing and you're helping out so many people and where can they find you if they want to go to your masterclass, if they want your to like hire
2: you for consulting, like Instagram, everything, where can they find you? So my business, Accepted Consulting, is just acceptedconsulting.com and there you can sign up for office hours or my masterclass or you can go directly and sign up for consulting services. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me by email or by DM on Instagram. And then you can find me on Instagram and YouTube and TikTok at the Redhead Academic.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. I'm so happy that we did this. And I feel like this is gonna motivate like this has motivated
2: me. And I'm not
0: even like in school, so this is gonna motivate <laughs> so many people listening.
2: Thank you for so much for coming I hope on. So. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun.
0: Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that you guys enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Again, if you guys liked this episode, be sure to follow us on Instagram. Leave us five stars on iTunes. Check out our new cover art because we actually have a new um, like picture for the podcast. I really love it. And yeah, let me know what you guys thought of this episode. Be sure to listen to Kaylin's episode. I am a guest on her podcast. I'll have everything in the show notes. And I hope that you guys enjoyed. And I'll see you guys next Monday on another episode of The Real Real Podcast.